OTB GAA. What's more knowing to be saying the game is tougher and all no, that, but you'd never see a hurdle broken, would you? <laughs> So broke a goofy van. No, but would you subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts? The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. Welcome back to Off the Ball on this Sunday afternoon. One of the greatest sporting days of the year is the All Ireland Senior Hurling Final this afternoon. Stephen Doyle in for Joe Malloy, and I'm delighted to be joined on this Sunday paper review by The Sun GEA reporter Jason Byrne and also columnist with the Irish Examiner Kieran Shannon. Welcome to the show today, lads. Um, how are we feeling, first of all, about the hurling final today? Excited? Yeah, very excited, Stephen. I'm giddy. Giddy in All-Ireland <laughs> final day, as you should be, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a cracker. Wet all day here in Dublin, but uh, yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen. Everyone's outside of Kilkenny seems to be tipping Limerick, but... Um, you just never know, do you? Yeah, absolutely. And look, interesting with yourself, Jason. I know you're from Donegal, so you're you're from footballing county. But what is it about the hurling final that really gets the the emotions stirring for you? It's just like it, some of my best days. My probably my best day in this job was the All Ireland hurling final in 2018, just because of the emotion that came with Limerick's first victory. I know a lot of people elsewhere are probably just sick of the side of them at this stage, but you know watching this team grow and progress and turn into such the dominant force that they are now and that they're on the brink of history today they've, they've just been phenomenal to watch and you know I, I always grew up watching Hurling even though there's there's not many there's not much Hurling in Donegal but like you know I, when I went to college in Galway that's where my love of it came and I was great friends with a lot of the lads on the Fitzgibbon team there and a couple of them have managed senior inter-county teams since Dara Egan I went to college with him Steve Malumpy's managing Kerry of course or was managing Kerry this year so you know, I was close with all those lads, so that's that's kind of where my love of the game grew from. Even though you always get a snide remark when you're going into certain grounds around the country, uh, and your knowledge of the game's questioned. Um, I'm not singling out Parky Keeve there at all, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's it's just it's such a wonderful day. Everything about it, and there's loads in today's papers, kind of picturing that scene. That's that's just so glorious about the whole thing. Yeah, Karen, I have to admit here that my first trip to Croke Park. I was uh, three, just gone on four years of age, 1983 All-Ireland semi-final. It was football. It was Dublin against Cork. I was with my dad, my uncle Tony. So um, I grew up uh, going to Crow Park, seeing football matches. I didn't really get to see hurling uh, properly at Crow Park until I actually, do you know something funny? I, I, I used to rent a house just beside the entrance to Hill 16 there. And one of the kind sergeants, um, who would have been there on crowd, crowd crowd control used to let us into the back of the hill once the match had thrown in. I did a bit of steward work then as well, actually, funny enough, at Crow Park and we would have seen a lot of the good uh, Kilkenny games over the, the throughout the noughties, should I say. Um, and I have to say, just that I, that's when I really started, I suppose, just to respect and to, you know, just not just respect the players and what they do. And we'll talk as well uh, in some of the columns today about how, how players are talked about as giant. Shane McGrath did a good column in the mail. But I suppose when you see a close-up like that on an All-Ireland Championship day, there really is nothing like it. It's amazing stuff. Uh, it is. I mean, just even there, right? I, I suppose I go to a lot of games, but um, a great day to bring people to a matches All-Ireland semi-finals, right? Because... It's in Croke or there's going to be a big crowd without it being a sellout unless it's maybe something like, you know, Dubs against Kerry or Mayo. Um, 
in the football. But uh, so let's say my my wife and daughter wouldn't be as into it as me and my son. But the girls have gone to let's say the last time they've been in Croker was the twenty eighteen semi final against Galway, which was which was a cracking game. It went to extra time uh, and then a, a replay, and then they went to the Kilkenny game two weeks ago and. While it was very disappointing for the county, uh, I'm living here in Clare. Um, the the actual game itself, they were just like we had good seats in the in the lower Cusack, and they were just taken by just the athleticism and the occasion. And like uh, no, look, last year, last week's football semi-finals restored my faith somewhat in the game, but they have been an outlier. Whereas like this year, just following the Monster hurling championship in particular, just from the terraces going in with my own fella, it's just been a joy. Um, and it is a spectacular sport. Just for, I, I think if you're told a body of work, if you're to pick 10 sports, or sorry, 10 games in any sport, you know, like I'm a huge NBA fan, basketball, but you know, 10 soccer, I still love my Gaelic football, but it has, if hurling, what we've got this year, you know, I saw my colleague in the examiner in the McAvoy, say that there hasn't been an absolute stone cold classic but whatever about nine and a half out of tens there's been a lot of eight and a half out of tens I, I don't know if there's another sport that can provide us and you know so going back to look I haven't gone up I, it's interesting to hear Jason talk a, about breakthroughs I, I'd say if a Waterford was in the final I might have been scrambling more for, looking for a ticket or accreditation because there is nothing like seeing a breakthrough win in either the hurling or the football I mean Jason said his highlight was 2018 I like seeing Wexford win in '96, seeing um, Armagh O2. I would say Armagh O2 because it was such an epic game against Kerry. The O3 Tyrone um, wasn't as good a game, you know. But uh, but like there is nothing like seeing that. But I am still looking very forward to watching this game because like James O'Connor set it up well, and he said anybody who thinks. It's not going to be as close as last year, you know, or that it's not going to be closer than last year. Is only fooling themselves. Well, it was a two-point game last year. So he's basically saying it's a one-point game or we can, this is the one game where we can have a replay, all right? Um, that there's there's allowance for a replay, unlike every other game. Uh, but uh, maybe that's what he's hinting at. But yeah, look, it's going to be, it's going to be cracking stuff as much as, Limerick are on the cusp of greatness and they could be one of the greatest teams of all time. Um, they already are, actually. But uh, you wouldn't rule out Kilkenny. You would not rule out Kilkenny. So it will, it, it'll be a fascinating game. It'll be great stuff. Yeah, and, and interesting that Kieran mentions, Jason, as well, just the, the quality of this year's hurling championship. It has been brilliant, and I suppose you, that will be focused mainly on the Munster Championship, which is fair enough. Leinster Championship, not as good. I was at a couple of Dublin games, but... The final, the final was absolutely incredible. And I think one of the most notable things about that final was the way the Kilkenny players celebrated beating Galway. Now, I know it was in dramatic fashion and that always contributes towards a brilliant celebration. But to see a Kilkenny team celebrating a Leinster final like that, we haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, and I think I think the Derek Ling uh, storyline kind of really fell into that as well. Obviously, like when you get a last minute goal in, in any game, it's so euphoric. But I think the fact, I think that was the day the mantle was officially handed over to Derek from Brian Cody because it was Championship silverware. And, you know, we've seen so many times Cody just go over and maybe shake the hands of the opposition manager, even if it's Henry Shefflin, that, uh, you know, it didn't mean that much to him. And it was always eyes in the bigger prize because all Ireland's are the only currency down there. But, 
just I think the fact that it was Ling and that that was the day he stepped out of Cody Shallow like you know there's, there's there was always that question of what was going to happen and you know it answered a lot of questions and it kind of ushered in that new area era in that moment that that crazy moment when <laughs> when Boric Mannion tries to kick the ball away and it just comes straight into Killian Buckley like he couldn't have caught it any better and just the strike it was it was it was insane and as you said the scenes at the end like by all accounts they went and they partied for a couple of days and that brings a special bond as well and you know that would have really glued the group closer together again so yeah like it was just it was just incredible like and, and you know provincial titles mean something as well in terms of the fact like that you're avoiding those all-Ireland quarterfinals which have proved so perilous and once again we have the both provincial champions in the final 100% Kieran, um I suppose all-Ireland final week we do get access to players for a change and that's something that's been spoken about over the last number of weeks is the just the lack of access and we'll talk to Jason in a moment just about what it's like to be in the newsroom around this time of year and how your editor kind of puts you out there and, and tries to get something different to, to what everybody else has but when you open up the Sunday papers on the day of the All-Ireland Hurling or Football Finals what is it you're looking for? Yeah, you're looking for good reading, right? And I guess... It's it's a balance between it all. I, I I thought it was refreshing to to pick up the papers today and to see player interviews. Um, so obviously, like I'm not on out. I'm a columnist, as you say there, but I've been that soldier like a Jason. I would have worked, it, let's say, with the Sunday Tribune for ten years and the Sunday Endo for a couple of years before that. So what you'd be looking for is that balance between you'd be looking to at least have one big interview or an interview with one of the players and then several concept pieces. Um, what you would have had today in the papers, obviously both um, Mike Casey from Limerick was put up and then Hugh Lawler from Kilkenny. And the, and there's, there's good pieces around them because it gives you some insight into, like, I mean, I would have been familiar with the names, but... I wouldn't have known even what they worked at. There's a few players on what they worked at. So uh, Hugh Lawler has got, even just a line from Dermot Crow. you know, you're, you're, you're taken by wh- why is he spelled H-U-W as opposed to H-U-G-H. And <laughs> it's his mother is Welsh. It's just a sub subclass, but it just adds a little bit, oh, right, Welsh mother, that's where that comes from. Something you wouldn't have maybe got to know otherwise. Uh, but just on like how he's a dietitian, how he did sports, um, science, but then he 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 drifted over. So he's a dietitian beyond just sport. And um, and then Mike Casey, how he's uh, he does a bit of farming, and he's uh, a teacher, but he's also um, doing his Tagus Green Cert. Um, and just a little bit about the background and a little bit about their mindset. Um, it was interesting how several of the lads, particularly Tommy Canlan and Sunday Endo, zoned in on how. He didn't watch, let's say, the semi-finals. So they played Galway on the Saturday. Claire Kilkenny are playing on the Sunday. And how actually the discipline now is not to watch it because you would think you'd put the feet up and that it would be leisurely. But no, you. he was pointing out that you just wanted to to just actually reset and just take the day off because if you end up watching that game, you'll end up in, in you know, maybe going back on the button, you're analysing what does he do. And he said, there'll be time for that and we'll do that enough over the coming couple of weeks so just about and you know they talk about and where where Tommy and his piece went strongly was just the commitment levels I mean that's a cliche at this point but he was just talking about how no like he actually said that 
yeah, of course you'd want to be professional because uh, if you are really doing this proper, you have to be doing at a level where you are pro, um, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, why would you want to not be anybody? He says who wants to remain amateur probably isn't doing it the right way. Now, while you know, there's been that discussion before, and someone like even though the Cork team and Donalog, a team of the mid nineties would have been talking about pushing the envelope. I think Donalog himself said that you have to bear in mind what will lads be doing. Um, they have to like the lads have qualifications in jobs that they'll be doing it well into their late thirties and forties when they're not playing. Uh, whereas that wouldn't be maybe feasible uh, if it was a pro, but. I just thought in terms of what it's like to be a player, I thought there was good insights. And yet, I go back to... I, and what was interesting also, there was a piece on Ronan Maher, who's a hurley maker. That's why Ronan Maher from Tip. I thought it was a bit unusual when I saw it at first, but he's a hurley maker for and a hurley supplier for the likes of Aaron Galan. Um, but by the same token, it's that balance of... You asked me at the start, what are you looking for? You're looking for some insight into the players, and we got that. You're looking for some analysis. There's some good stuff from James O'Connor's preview in the Sindos strand. And yet you're looking also for just that offbeat feature. And it's what I, I, I thought actually yesterday's Saturday papers, now they didn't have the player interviews, but there were some cracking concept pieces. Uh, Dennis Walsh did a fantastic piece, I thought, on uh, three of the uh, Limerick 70s team that made the breakthrough in 73, Eamon Cregan, Bernie Hartigan and Richie Bennis. And there were some great yarns in that that helped contextualise where Limerick have come from. Uh, there was a great piece in the Examiner by P.M. O'Sullivan and Pat Henderson. Um, so it's that throw, you want to get that balance. Um, so I thought it was solid, mm. um, solid reading. Um, and I, I was glad that there was player uh, interviews in the paper. And yet I enjoyed some of the maybe concept pieces or some of the... Uh, pieces with the former players um, yesterday, possibly even more. But overall, mm. good, good mix in the paper. Yeah, and I'd say I enjoyed your, your piece on Tuesday as well, Karen. just about the, the, the situation in Clare and, and, and where they stand, both their hurling and football sides after their defeats this year. Look, just a, a few minutes later than we normally would, I'll just give you a quick run through the back pages then before we get further into these pieces. So uh, the Irish Mail on Sunday on their back page, it's all hurling, it's a piece by Aoife English and she's saying, history in the making, immortality beckons as Treaty Hunt four in a row, but Kilkenny are a worthy foe. So that's the Irish Man on Sunday. And then moving on to the Sunday Independent, the front of their sports section, it says, Defiant Kilkenny, desperate to derail Limerick's dream. And then underneath the big headline, ready to rumble with a good piece by Dermot Crow, just setting up uh, the brilliant coverage inside uh, their sports section today. Um, the Irish Sun Sport, or yes, I should say the Sun on Sunday, the Irish Sun on Sunday, uh, which of course Jason Byrne is uh, in quite a lot this week, but they're leading with the um, Abbey Road on the back here, of course, reference to Abbey Larkin and the Irish International had a brilliant appearance off the bench. Um, in Ireland's defeat to Australia in that World Cup opener. Uh, we've got a couple of other stories there. Abuse is no harm. And that's uh, just a pun on the name of uh, Brian Harmon, of course, who's leading the Open Championship in golf going into uh, today's final round. Pep, I've no clue from Martin Blackburn in Tokyo. Tokyo, Pep Guardiola does not have a clue about what his Manchester City side will look like this season. The Spanish boss has already waved goodbye to Ilkay Gundogan and winger Riyad Mahrez this summer. I'm sure he'll be OK, though, won't he? He's got a big enough squad there. And then um, reference then to the All-Ireland Final. Cats are done for. 
Babs backing King John to rule again, and that in reference to the Sun Sports. Brilliant columnist Babs Keating, um, who says he can see only one winner at Croke Park today with Limerick completing their four in a row against Kilkenny in today's column. Babs writes, I think Limerick will add too much to everything they have done so far this year and could stroll away to win by six or seven points if they want to. We'll talk about Babs a little bit more in the next few moments. And uh, Then moving on to the Sunday People Sports section. Uh, the lead there, of course, saying this new pa- newspaper going with the uh, the Lionesses. Uh, way to go, Lionesses. They, of course, uh, defeating um, in their first match, Haiti, who are very good, I have to say. I watched most of that game. Absolutely excellent. And a player by the name of Dumornay is one to watch in that uh, Haiti team. She's been signed up by Lyon already. Um, their other headline there, shaken by the movers. Pep Guardiola just uh, talking again about his squad and what it's going to look like in the Premier League next season. And then Harmon, hand on Claret Jug. Uh, referencing there Brian Harmon and his big big lead five shot lead he has going into the final round at Hoylake this afternoon the Sunday Times sports section headline there and it's got a picture of Rory McIlroy looking uh, pretty disappointed after what was a disappointing round from Rory McIlroy looks like that putter has gone ice cold for him he was uh, some of his uh, set up play was brilliant yesterday his shots from the tee absolutely excellent but once he got onto the greens then he was really struggling and even um, my colleague Joe Malloy who I'm filling in for today had a, a good clip on he just uh, tweeted a clip last night of him on the practice greens after the, after the round and again he was just failing to find the hole with that putter so not good for McElroy. He's got a huge amount to make up there. A nine-shot deficit behind Brian Harmon. It's unlikely. And then they're off lead then. It's Saudis and Chelsea to lead bids for Mbappe. Duncan Castle's writing Paris Saint-Germain will open negotiations over the transfer of Kylian Mbappe this week with the Qatar-owned club expecting to field formal offers from a range of suitors including Saudi Arabia and Chelsea having failed to persuade Mbappe to change his stated stance on leaving French football as a free agent in the summer of 2024. PSG are attempting to force a sale in the present window. So they're obviously trying to get as much as they can for a player who will be out of contract next summer. And he has said himself that he will, he is willing to see out that contract at PSG. Then just finishing up with the uh, Irish Sunday Mirror and their back page. It's uh, leading with Pep's fury. fury. It's uh, Simon Mullock in Tokyo with the Manchester City team where they are on their pre-season tour. Pep Guardiola has admitted he has no idea what his Manchester City squad will look like so going with the same kind of story as the other two English newspapers. Pat Nolan writing on the back of the Sunday Mirror about uh, Limerick and just uh, I suppose teasing that interview with uh, Mike Casey. Mike Casey part of a Limerick team bidding for a place in the hurling history books today less than two years after fearing his career was over. We'll talk a bit more about that uh, in the rest of the review. David McDonnell in New York with the Manchester United team. Glazers' family row halts United takeover. Eric Ten Hag met with the Glazers in the US with the takeover of Manchester United held up due to a family split. Ten Hag met Avram Glazer at United's New Jersey base despite final bids of £6 billion having been submitted from rival ownership candidate Sheikh Jassim and Sir Jim Ratcliffe. There's been no movement on the takeover. So that one seems to be dragging on a while alright Jason Byrne you are as Kieran said in the thick of it in All-Ireland final week so what's it like for uh, for you dealing with your editor is it like kind of uh, I suppose John Coyley and Derek Ling with their teams trying to keep a calm uh, newsroom in the build up to what is a big big weekend for you guys yeah it's been it's been all goals Stephen but it's it's been it's been brilliant like it's a it's a great week to be doing it um, I was down at the, the Limerick Press night um Oh, it was like the I think it was on the Tuesday after they they won the semi final. So you know, as we see in the papers today, Mike Casey gave us a very uh, in depth and open and honest interview. Like, and 
you know, he spoke to us for over 40 minutes and we covered everything from David De Gea to cartilage injuries to, you know, living the professional life in an amateur setting. And, you know, he was just fantastic to talk to. And we spoke to David Reedy as well. And just as, as Kieran touched on, like, you know, just getting a great background into into the stories of some of these players is always just brilliant. You know, you the piece with, with David ran during the week, but it was, you know, he, he spoke very brilliantly about his time with with Kildare and how that set him up to kind of make a big comeback with Limerick and you know he's he's named to start in today's team so you know it's great to kind of chat and get the background with him and my colleague Paul Dollery went down to the Kilkenny press night then a day or two later and they got the steak and Langton's and got the full well, I'm wondering about it. was there any food laid on by, by the Limerick all Limerick fellas as well. Oh yeah, God, yeah. yeah, I must. Uh, I'm have just to. wondering though, the Kilkenny, because uh, this had been a tradition. I don't know if it was Brian Cody that brought it in, but of course you get into Langtons, you get your steak. My my feeling on that is that Cody felt that give these guys a big chunk of red meat, they'll be nice and sleepy by the time they get to talk to my players, so they're not going to get any good stuff out of them, are they? <laughs> yeah. Well, they they kept up that tradition anyway, so uh, the the baton's been passed there in that regard as well. But uh, look, we we went around the usual bit of bringing a few ex players as well. You know. I, I spoke to Mark Foley about uh, John Kelly's, you know, playing career and what he was like in the dressing room as opposed to the the multiple All Ireland man, uh, winning manager that he is now. And my colleague Paul spoke to um, spoke to Brian Hogan as well a lot about Hugh Lawler, of course, because they're they're club mates and Brian Hogan would have been his idols when he was coming up through the ranks and just no more than the pieces with Hugh today. Like it's fascinating to think that he never played minor for Kilkenny and he's a great soccer background as well and Shane there's quotes in there from Shane Keegan who's who's often in this parish about his soccer career and Keegan recommending him to clubs in England and the club saying he was too small and he's just a cornerstone and a rock in that Kilkenny team today and if he plays well today they'll, they'll go within a big chance of winning it Yeah absolutely Kieran. when you look at the, the papers and how they treated the interviews with with the two lads um, what's kind of grabbing you when you look through them? Yeah uh, J- Jason, were you in the room with Mike Casey when he was being interviewed? Were I you? was, Kieran. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, and how many of you were there? I think there was four of us in total. There was oh, only four. That's yeah. good. That's good. Four yeah, because yeah. because yeah. what, what seems to be gone now totally. What you would ideally like is the one-to-one interview, right? But that even, let's say, in the heyday of it, early like in, in the nineties, was rare enough. I do remember. My favourite one was I was able to get Owen Mulligan um, before the 2005 All Ireland, and you know it was it was in an hotel in Cookstown. It was one to one. I I I got the number back then. You would have you would have got the number. I was talking to his mother beforehand, and Owen was willing to talk to me because he had had a bit of a tumultuous summer that that year uh, before the goal against Dublin, and like that's dream stuff that you just don't get. But I do think uh, like. How it seems that uh, my Casey really engaged with the lads. Like I remember, just I suppose the last All Ireland I would have covered as a Sunday writer would have been with the twenty ten in the Tribune, and that was the famous one where Lar Corbett was put forward and Lar proceeded to get a hat trick because you know there was always this myth of or oh, whoever was put forward for the Sundays ended up having a nightmare. Um, uh, but I. While it's not the ideal scenario, it can still work really well for all concerned. And I think there was good stuff there from my Casey. So for me, that was a bit revealing because there's um, it's it's rare enough that you get an insight into these guys in the middle of the season. Um, and then I just really liked um, Shane McGrath's piece because 
he was just making the point that while the way he phrased it was, while a day like today is presented as a national celebration, when really it's an exhibition of personal triumphs curated on the grand, grandest scale we can muster. And he, he talks about essentially how two panels of 26 will bring 52 different stories into the dressing rooms under the Hogan stand sometime after midtime today. The ambition that has brought them the ambition that has brought them all to this point may be the same, but no two players will have got there by the same route. And he talks about how careers are often made secondary, if not sacrificed. And about, think of all the childhood mornings and evenings walloping slitters off the gables to race home to find boots and gear. And the increasingly contorted ballet required to keep education, work, romance and sport and some sort of function alignment. These people are simply marvels. And so, like, while sometimes we can sneer a little bit on, you know, the old line, uh, not men, but giants, he's making the point that, and the same applies to the 32, uh, the, the, the 52 that will be going in there next week from Dublin and Kerry, or anybody who's, who makes it to Crow Park or commits to being a, an inter-county player at the elite level. Um, it, it is a... We have to remember that personal journey, and, and that's why I did... Well, there weren't stellar pieces. I really liked the, the the pieces from the players today, on the likes of Mike Casey, like Christy O'Connor also was was there, obviously as well. And he talked about how, like someone like Casey, we forget, like just you know yeah. the personal injury that he had to come back from. You know, he missed the uh, two All Irelands. So yeah, the, the those were the, the I suppose the interview pieces along with Shane's pieces were the ones that jumped out at me. Yeah, we go into those um into those interview pieces because there is some really stuff I think on on Casey and Lawler in those um in just a moment. I have to say he only finds out Jason I'm a Dublin fan. He has to mention Muggsy's goal back in 05. Great stuff there, Kieran. <laughs> Thanks a million for that. Listen, we'll be back very shortly. Next up we'll be talking a bit more about those interviews with Mike Casey and Hugh Lawler. Well, you're very welcome back to Sunday's Off the Ball. Stephen Doyle in here for Joe Malloy on this Sunday All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship final day. I'm joined in the studio by Jason Byrne of The Sun, the Irish Sun, I should say. And uh, also with us today is the Irish Examiner col- columnist, Karen Shannon. Uh, Karen, just uh, I wanted to mention the last paragraph, actually, in that Shane McGrath piece, which I thought was uh, was really good, just uh, talking about the dedication that's required from these players that we're going to see out in the Croke Park pitch today. It says, their lives have been bent towards this overriding ambition for as long as they can remember. And the goal is, in the end, of a joyous traipse up the steps of the Hogan stand. But given most of the players competing at the highest level in their game will never get to do that, there is a sharper purpose. This is an impulse with stand with. This is an impulse with that withstands rejection and disappointment and the screaming logic that says enough, few enough have it, fewer still fully understand it. So we stand removed, reduced to cheers and gawping admiration as yes, the contention that at its best a day like this feels like a theatre for giants. And I suppose um, a bit like what we were saying earlier on, Jason, when you kind of get to see these guys in the flesh. Um, and I suppose for kids especially who are going to be at this game today, they almost seem like otherworldly or Giants, as, uh, as Shane mentions there as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant piece from Shane. And, uh, you know, Shane's a male man, so he's probably had his own fair share of heartbreak uh, following them, but it's it's a brilliantly written piece. And, you know, talking about all those stories in the dressing room as well. And, you know, some of those inter-county stories might even end today. They might end next weekend after after Dublin Kerry as well. And, you know, that's that, that bus will be parked for some of these players. Like, and... You know, if, if if you know TJ Reid's probably the one everyone will be thinking of after today, regardless of the result. But you would hope that he sticks around. But 
There was a very poignant photograph of uh, Conor McManus, obviously, with his parents after the Dublin Monaghan game. And, you know, we can expect to see pictures like that today again between the joy and the heartbreak. And, like, just the, the way these players put their lives on hold, you know, we really mm-hmm. probably don't talk about it enough and credit it enough because everything is put on hold from weddings and social gatherings and just this bubble comes first and you often hear the players talk about when they step away from the bubble they think god what was I doing or that was a bit drastic or you know I put I put too much into it but like it can it can have massive effects on personal lives and like I was thinking about Sean Cavanagh's autobiography during the week as well when he was wandering around the roads of Tyrone after they, they lost to Melbourne uh, in the Ireland quarterfinal I, I, and that's I the kind of yeah sorry I, I found that yeah, I just remember that that book that passage from that book I I, I couldn't believe that a player of Kavanaugh who who has got up those steps that you talked about three times. Now, obviously, they saw themselves that year. That was a de facto All-Ireland semi-final that year. But it was just an astonishing piece of writing, I thought. I think it was Damien Lawler who goes to that book. I, I remember that, um, that opening chapter just being struck by the devastation. Like, he, he, we're talking about a guy... What Jason, you you can still vividly remember it. Like he, he at half eleven at night, he's still just in a daze out in rural Tyrone, isn't that right? He's nearly yeah, getting knocked he, out. Yeah, he hadn't eaten. He'd left his phone in his wallet in a in a mate's car, and a, a taxi man came on him who who'd been out watching the game earlier in the day. Here was Sean Cavanaugh wandering around in a, a polo shirt and and training shorts, and he had to be brought home. Like, but that was the impact it had on him. Like, and you know, he he was the type of player. Like, I remember after one of the All Ireland finals after they won. He was beating himself up at the banquet about a goal chance that he missed. You know, that's just typical of the thoughts that are going through all these players' heads all the time. And just the sheer devastation of defeat can last for days. And, you know, that's the impact that it had on Sean's mental health that time. And it was, must have been terrifying for his family as well. But it kind of all feeds into Shane's piece in terms of the sacrifices that these players made, even though they're just idolised and put on a pedestal today as these giants. You know, they do have all these huge emotion and feelings underneath it that goes into it all and you know we have to always remember that as well well just on that because it kind of sets us up nicely for the christy o'connor piece um which you were mentioning kieran and this is uh, the interview with mike casey and it's been a, a brilliant treatment here from uh, christy who we all know is a, an absolutely fantastic writer and he sets up uh, the 2021 um holiday the team holiday and uh, they're in sandy lane in barbados and he's talking about Mike Casey, who he says found himself in an emotional and psychological torture chamber. Casey had missed Limerick's two previous All-Ireland final wins with a knee injury. After tearing his ACL in 2020, he ripped the cartilage around his knee on his first night back in training in July 2021. That required more surgery, but there was so little blood flow around his knee at the time that the cartilage was slow to stitch back together. When Casey was in a swimming pool in Sandy Lane a few months later, the cartilage ripped away from the joint. He says himself, I was looking at myself in this unbelievable resort, but I was so down, says Casey. I was thinking that when I get home, it's all going to be over and done with. And this is the last time I'm going to be with this group. There were definitely some dark times, 100%. Multiple visible scars across Casey's right knee paint, an illustrative history of his struggles that required four surgeries across four years, MCL, ACL and two cartilage operations. When Casey spent 18 months rehabbing injuries in 2020-21, the challenges during the recovery were as much psychological as physical. He says himself, 
when you're out for that long and you see the levels of performance, the boys who you're thinking, there's no room for a fellow with one good knee on this team, says Casey. It was extremely tough. There was a time when I did think that my career was over. I had a horrible couple of years, but it changed your perspective. Every time I put on a Limerick jersey now, whether it's training or a match, I'm so grateful. That's... um, Paul McGrath levels of, of knee issues there for, for Mike Casey and here he is about to he will be hoping to help Limerick to a four in a row All-Ireland Championships Kieran. and I suppose it gives yeah. us an insight as well because these guys again we can't labour the point but they're, they're amateurs they've got day jobs and I can't imagine what he was going through during all that time when he's trying to rehab those four really serious operations Yeah but I suppose the one thing was like I mean he had won his first All-Ireland like he was there in eighteen. So the point is, is like Jason's pointed out about the devastation that'll be for whoever loses. Um, and that is true. But by the way, they wanted to keep going either way. You know, you, you'll go, you'll keep going back. Like my case, he had his All-Ireland. He was there because they had won in All-Ireland. But um, he wanted just to be back with that group. He's talking about every time he puts on the jersey or he's in a training. It's the old friend, the journey. They don't want to stop the journey because it is so precious. And um, like, so it's that. What what will be fascinating today is, like, we have to remember here that, and, and it's it's pointed out in some of the pieces, and even I was doing a piece on Kilkenny hurling and how they've recognised that they've taken their eye off the ball. They had taken their eye off the ball a bit in their structures. Um, and I, I was talking to Eddie Brennan, and he made the point that for, and he would have coached some of those guys. Uh, who got to an under twenty one All Ireland in seventeen against Limerick? So a lot, of, and he was making the point about how there's boys there in Kilkenny who have yet to win their All Ireland medal. You know, so they will bring that huge determination. Uh, someone like TJ Reid, um, has has won. Is it seven or eight of them? Um, Jason, um, seven, Kieran, yeah, seven, seven. So like, today. yeah, yeah. But it's it's been eight years since that last one, and and look, it could be TJ's last go but and the, the other thing that you'll have is like it'll be TJ's idea whenever he calls the same way it'll be a Conor McManus the only thing is uh, you know the body might be telling them but it won't be a manager but you will have fringe players who will be moved on to it and like you're on about there that bus uh, Jason I'll always remember I mentioned how Wexford 96 was a, a special moment um, but on the Monday after um they had won. They talked about how Liam Griffin all called them in and said, just take in this moment because this will be the last time all of us will be in a room. You know, there will be guys who will move on. Like there will be guys who will be dropped. So it, it, it always keeps moving. But uh, what by the same token, what has been exceptional about this Limerick team is they have retained so many of these. The age profile is team. They're probably going to be, the core of them are going to be together for another uh, three, three to four years. But um, I thought just to, to tie it in with the Casey piece, it's that when you have it and you see it going, you really want to fight for as long as it wasn't even just to get back to, to a day like today. It was just to put on that green shirt again and still be with this group because they know they have something extremely precious. And while um, they have played, they've been duly, I suppose, obliging and given good insights here. There is um, there is a real study to be done eventually on just uh, how they've turned this around. Like we often hear about Paul Canark, but mm. to get really what way it has worked, 
Because to me, like, and this is for a lot of people, I just thought we'd never see anything like Kilkenny again. Never. Like, to think, like, because we, we thought we wouldn't even see anything like Kilkenny where, you know, having seen the, witnessed the revolution years and how you'd pro counties, you know, so many counties like a Waterford being competitive and to think that they haven't got up there yet. And like, I remember talking, you're on about devastation. <laughs> I remember, I remember interviewing Tony Brown in 2017. Um, he gave a real honest interview. I mean, Tony, you're talking about loving the process and doing whatever it takes to, um, like Tony obviously played, had the longest inter-county career since Ring. Um, but he talked about uh, going to a game in Nolan Park, Wexford and Kilkenny with uh, Ken McGrath and they bumped into uh, Jackie Tyrrell and the three of them were talking away and having the ball happen and like between them I think they each had won a, a three All-Stars and then, <laughs> and then Tony says to Ken, he says, Jesus Ken, that fecker has nine irons <laughs> and we have none, you know. <laughs> and, 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 there, and there is that, but... Um, but it is but funny because I remember I, I was listening to David Herity speaking to Joe during the week and he was talking about the likes of TJ and Richie when they were young lads kind of take collecting their first few All-Irelands and kind of saying they were pretty confident they would make double figures in All-Ireland medals and, you know, they, lo and behold, we would have never thought that the, there would have been, I suppose, the, uh, the down... Uh, the downturn in Kilkenny hurling and, and it was good that you referenced as well just the the structures because David Hardy spoke as well about how they had probably taken their eye off the ball with regard to underage in, in Kilkenny and that is being addressed now so uh, that's a warning I think for everybody going into the future I just want to mention I think one of the big things that a lot of people have spoken about with this Limerick team as well lads is, their, is the physicality and how they changed the, the strength and conditioning side of the game as well and uh, it's mentioned in this Christy piece um, Casey goes on saying yeah, I was slagging Shawnee Finn. He's getting even bigger up top, says Casey. He promises to wear a sleeveless top to the All-Ireland final just to get a picture. It's a bit of crack, but it comes back to that competitiveness in the gym. Everyone wants to outdo each other, to lift more than the next person. It's a vital part of the game. You have to be able to run harder, be more powerful than every other team. There are a few lads, all right, that don't mind taking the tops off in the dressing room. Now he adds as well that uh, Casey might have a bit of an advantage because of his farming background. Growing up on a farm on the outskirts of Limerick City honed and developed that natural strength. If you're ever down there, he says, um, if you're ever uh, ever down there with the lads dehorning or tagging calves, Peter, his brother, would be writing down the tag numbers, says Shane Dowling. They're an Apiercic teammate. Mike would be inside tackling and wrestling with the cows and calves trying to get them out. So I think that probably will tell us that the dubs really won't, will have no hope in the <laughs> over the next decade or so because they're not doing any of that kind of training, uh, Jason. But it is it is really a big part of the game now, isn't it? That, that has totally been changed by Limerick over this last six, seven years. Yeah, they're just absolutely enormous. And like, you know, in the, like the, that conversation kind of sparked from that famous photograph of the lads and the the dressing room after one of the All-Irelands it was like a poster for WWE or something <laughs> uh, you know and you know we were joking then that maybe the journalists in the room should recreate it and uh, you know I was saying Christy would probably be in the, the best shape of any of us but uh, yeah they're absolutely massive like and you know people are always talking about Limerick's half-back lane which is going to be manned by Willow Donahue today but like they've giants all over the pitch like Gerard Hegarty you know like the way Keane Lynch, like you see a photograph of Keane Lynch when he was playing under 21. He's just a kid. Do you know what I mean? He's this absolute monster now. And you can't go too overboard with it as well. You have to find that balance. But, 
you know, this was all started for Limerick in terms of their academy as well. And, you know, they really got things right from underage level. And, you know, that's what David Herdy was referencing when he was when he was talking to you during the week as well. That That's maybe where Kilkenny didn't kind of hit the nail on the head in years gone by and maybe why they've had this eight-year famine now because eight years is such a famine for them. But uh, I think like Limerick's Academy, you look through, you know, those underage teams, they've all come through together. Um, you know, they all have that perfect age, pro- age profile as Kieran mentioned as well and they're just all absolute animals. And that Galway team in 2017 were massive as well but you know Limerick came on and they just they just seemed to have it at a different level again when they, they got that breakthrough title and beat Galway in that 2018 final because at the start of that season everyone was saying oh Galway are searched for back to back but Limerick have just come along and literally bulldozed all in their path since then like and you know they're, they're a remarkable team and regardless of what happens today they are one of the all time great sides I remember as a reporter covering uh, Dublin as they went on to win the six in a row and every year you'd be asking about the three in a row, four in a row, five. And Tommy Conlon mentions in his piece in the Sunday Independent uh, at the end of that uh, piece with uh, Mike Casey, he says, Casey has supported Manchester United, man and boy. The end of the Alex Ferguson era has been a salutary lesson in how empires rise and fall. He repeats the warning he uttered earlier. The wheel always turns. Nothing lasts forever. But he and his teammates, his best friends, Seem Coley determined to squeeze all the juice from the orange before it begins to decay. Therefore, naturally, any reflections on their place in history as the legitimate heirs to Mick Mackey's legacy from the 1930s will have to wait until their work is done. For now, it's about high performance, preparation and execution, but surely at the back of their minds, they must be conscious of what they're achieving. Of course, we are, he replies, we're human beings. We understand what's going on. But when you sit back and start thinking about that, that's when you're done. If we dwelt on what we did in the past, we wouldn't be here now. Yeah, there is history involved, but that is for us to sit back and reflect on in 20 years' time. Do you, like, were you were there with him, Jason, are you buying that? Does the, is the four in a row, is it a motivation today, do you think? Ah, it has to be underneath it all. When you, you know, you I'm sorry, to match only Cork and Kilkenny. Kilkenny. Yeah. The other, two, other two counties that yeah, have done Yeah, like Cork done it in 44 and Kilkenny done it in 09 and, you know, they'll want to be up on that pedestal with those sides, absolutely. Like John Kelly was obviously playing it down as well and it's what you'd absolutely expect them to do but it, it has to be there underneath the surface uh, somewhere as a driver. The, the, the only thing, I don't know. I, I, I think the fact is Kilkenny ended up winning a four in a row and the, and the Dubs went on to win a six in a row. I, 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 I don't think it's a bit like you know when the dubs won their four in a row like was it was a tyrone it was all towards the five you know that kind of way mm-hmm. like even early on it felt like that now obviously this year has been way more competitive than hurling and so i just think it's i don't think the four in a row has been is as big a thing as albeit there's a good piece by mick foley today about how it has been a separator how the, how there basically has been is it nine teams that have done a three in a row but um, only two other teams before in hurling have done four in a row. But I, I, I don't think it's anything like if they were to get through today, if they were going for a five, in, in light of Kilkenny not doing it, you know. Um, but it do, it does separate them, yeah, from, mm. let's say, that great Cork team of the late 70s, you know, that, that, they, that Limerick. Um, so, you know, but I, I don't think they're obsessed with, I don't think this current team are looking at it, oh, this separates us from the Cork team of the late 70s. Um, going back to what Jason said, I think, and, and my case is quote, reference it, they, they have, 
they've had little truck with history. You know, they they didn't want um, going into twenty eighteen. Um, they they made it clear like you know we're not the Limerick team of two thousand and seven. Not that they were disowning those teams. They would be aware that even some of them like James Hickey were involved around then, but. Uh, that those defeats weren't their defeats. They weren't going to be burdened by history. And it's it goes it goes the other way too. Um the, 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 it's something they like to hear after the fact, you know. Like I think they enjoyed hearing, oh, is that five monsters in a row? That's I think John Kylie had that. I didn't know that we were there with Cork 82 to 86. It's after a kind of thing, it's a cute thing to hear, you know. But um, you know, they're they're just in the business of winning this one and it's as boring as it is, it's game by game for them. And uh so yeah, but it's uh, but it goes back to and I, I know Tommy well, and Tommy lives in Limerick, and he would have met some of those players out because look, this is beyond the wildest dreams of the supporters. Beyond, if anybody told you, could you imagine being a Limerick person being told at the start of twenty eighteen, not only are we going to end the forty five years, we're going to win five in the next six, like that would have just been like a Kilkenny person, you know, a Dublin football. In 2011, if someone told you what was going to happen, mm. you 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 would have struggled even for a Limerick person to hear this. It's 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 remarkable what they what they've done, and uh, so yeah, like, these guys it's, are. It's yeah. not lot. It's not that long ago, Karen. Like I can remember watching the Limerick team. Maybe was it 10, 12 years ago, and they were hopeless. Ah, look, they were way off. I mean, look, as a county, there was that's been well documented. But how it's gone from, you know, unlimited heartbreak, as the book was mm. called, to unlimited success joy it's just it's just a remarkable and I know they've been paired a lot with Mayo but Mayo have right Mayo would love that closure winning all Ireland but Mayo have been so competitive and consistent over the last 25 years but particularly obviously for a 10 12 year period there like Limerick as you said had awful um beatings you know and 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 that's one thing that would happen and even in Dublin and where a Cluxton even come back in they would remind so the the Brian Fenton's off, you know. I was beaten by seventeen points by Kerry in an All Ireland quarter final. Like you know, I was beaten by Westmead. You know, a Declan Hannon. You know, some of those guys were there on very low days where they were. What what what? And going back to one thing about Kilkenny, while they haven't been, it's an eight year famine for them. They've always been relevant, always relevant. In a, even in a year like twenty seventeen where it was, the, I think, their first year not getting to play in Crow Park. They brought Waterford to the brink in Turles in the qualifiers to extra time, and Waterford got to an All-Ireland. They've always been relevant. For years there, Limerick were irrelevant. And the consistency of this group, it's just phenomenal. Even a year like 2019, they didn't. They were beaten in the semi-final, but to win a league, to win Munster the way they did, it, it's... I, I, I just still... Um, find this the Limerick story just remarkable and I still think it'll be another while before we really get it there's been obviously good pieces there was a great book there by Arthur O'Dea last mm-hmm. year that contextualised it well but in terms of what happened within the group um, and, and we could be waiting a long time for it you know the way that it took really only Jackie Turrell's book I felt was that came out uh, at the end of 2017 uh, for us to get a real insight as much as we had drip drip and the gas thing is is the Kilkenny players I know they're they're doing road shows with your, the likes of yourselves, and they're great 
they're 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 great to pick up a phone now to you know and and they they'll talk away to us. But gee, at the time outside of the day, the Jason and the boys would get a steak. They were very they were fairly reticent now, you know. Yeah, well, it's um, it's interesting. You imagine uh, Tommy Walsh, who we'll have on, of course, today from Croke, live from Crow Park, uh, doing his usual brilliant stuff from the All Ireland final, and he is mentioning Dermot Crow's piece. Uh, Dermot Crow speaking to uh, Hugh Lawler. And um, it says here, one of the pieces I, I liked, because it's always nice to hear about current players talking about their heroes. Um, he says, of the players who inspired him in his impressionable years, Tommy Walsh gains special favour. I just loved him as a hurler, he says. No fear. He attacked the ball the whole time. As I got a bit older then, obviously playing for O'Loughlin's, I was learning an awful lot of Brian Hogan because I was playing in the backs at the time as well. And I ended up with Martin Comerford there at the same time. They were two influences. It's the same for the O'Loughlin's lads on the panel now. They were huge role models for us growing up. And then you had the likes of Mark Kelly and Mark Bergen who were there as well. They were a huge impression on us. I actually moved uh, from Dublin to, to a place down in Kildare called Kill, uh, which wasn't really a big hurling uh, hotbed, but uh, there was a guy who used to live down the road from us. He was a big, his family were Kilkenny hurling, big, big Kilkenny fan. I think it was 2000 or 2001. I remember him scarpering down the road to the bus stop. And I was like, um, geez, where are you off to? And he says, I'm off down to see Kilkenny Miners. It might have been 98, actually 97, 98. I said, all right, he said, there's this fella called Tommy Walsh. I tell you, he's going to be a hero, this fella. He's, he's the new, he's the new, uh, the, the, the big, big uh, player for Kilkenny. Watch out for this fella. I was like, little did I know uh, Tommy Walsh, what he would go on to do. And here I've only heard from from uh, some local neighbour in, in a village in Kildare. But anyway, Stick Wickle, Kenny, you've picked out a couple of bits as well, Jason, I think, looking at, uh, was it Mick Foley's interview there with them? Um, Mick yeah. Foley's done it for, for, for the Sunday Times. Yeah, yeah, Mick. Well, first, I wanted to talk about Mick's piece that, that uh, Kieran briefly mentioned there, like kind of, you know, when he's talking about how hard it is to do the four in a row, like, and he takes us to, he takes us to Dennis Coughlin's bedside in, in 1979 and Christy Ring comes in to see him and, you know, they're going for the four in a row and they ask, they ask the great man and his, his quote is, something always happens, Ring replied and then, you know, the next phone call they got was that the ring had passed away and he just kind of, he weaves into all the kind of near misses and all the three in a row stories down through the years and he just finishes up the piece lovely, you know, saying that in time maybe Limerick's breathless victory over Clare in the Munster final will be preserved as the moment that opened the way to immortality. Maybe that moment is yet to come. Something always happens. I just thought it was a fantastic piece from Mick and, you know, it, it kind of ties in as well, lovely to the, the way that Limerick have gone through some of these All-Irelands with such adversity you know they missed Keane Lynch last year Declan Hannan's missing today but they always seem to just be able to churn out the results and you know Richie English isn't in the 26th today either so mm. they have very little cover in terms of uh, defenders but they keep coming back and you know they have this unbreakable bond that seems to be massive for them as well and we've, we've seen the pictures of them at this stage drinking pitch side at the Gaelic grounds toasting monster titles and thinking through that monster campaign as well just backs against the wall especially after they lost against Clare that night in the Gaelic grounds I was there and it was just a phenomenal occasion but you know people were writing them off and the question marks were there but again, were they writing them off were they right, Jason were they writing them off I mean I remember writing a piece all right, that there were signs of slippage and I, I suppose in a dressing room, I don't know if it was done. They might have taken that old people writing us off. But I don't think anybody wrote Limerick off. I just think that people were surprised by how far they came to the back and they realised this isn't going to be a procession. Like, this is going... Which we thought it was. We just thought... Like, I remember Dennis Walsh, who's obviously one of the greatest writers in the sport on the sport that it's ever had. Um, 
writing about, you know, it's their ball, you know, nothing's going to stop them after the league final where these two counties, but how, not just Kilkenny, although we'll see today, um, how everyone was so close, but I don't think anybody wrote them off, but I think your point's still valid, Jason, your point about the, the bond they have and how it's got them through those games, you know, because that's what was unique about, like there was years like in 2021, 2020, they were just blowing teams off the field. Again, which was, I wrote it at the time, you could never envisage a Limerick team doing. Um, because on, on each area of it, like you take the Great Clare team, and they were a great team, like with only, you could argue now, they're two All-Irelands, three Munsters, but they were a great team, that Lucknan team. But A, they won only close games, essentially. And you couldn't say that they were the best hurling team. You know, like uh, like they, they, they introduced power hurling. They were kind of the first team to make a, a quantum leap on the SNC front, the physicality, although it wasn't SNC then, Mike Mack wouldn't be as scientific as the likes of Joe O'Connor. But the point being that they were, that was what separated them. You couldn't say they were the best hurlers as such, particularly up front. Like this, this, this Limerick hurling team have, haven't just been ahead on SNC, like between, you know, game awareness, intelligence, and just sheer technique, they've been the best hurlers. They've been better hurlers than, Name whichever county, like Cork would have prided them. And Cork wouldn't have, a county like Cork has a, has only I started started to get to that. Whereas, oh, we have the hurlers and that other stuff. It's nearly like as if that's for guys who can't hurl. No, the Cork great team of the mid-90s understood that and they were a, a separator. But the point is this Limerick team hit the box in every category between physical conditioning, the mental, uh, and the, the technical stroke, tactical. Um, and... You know, again, it's it's a remarkable, but you know, the, going back to the point about something always happens. Will we be here, Jason, after tonight, saying something did happen with the likes of losing Hannon? You know, um, so that that it caught up with them the same way in Kilkenny. You know, in 2010, as good as that Tip team were coming, it was another back to back All Ireland's, and we were looking at it. Um, now, obviously, there was the whole thing about Henry. Mm. Uh, going into that game but the point is as a group they still looked like they could overcome it because they just had seen looked so imperious in how they dismissed Cork in the semi-final so it's um, yeah um, we, we'll see if they do the four in a row and it probably does like it puts yeah. them in the in the top three um, so history beckons as all the headlines say indeed well look I think as well, it was probably a bit of a struggle for, for editors on this Sunday afternoon or this Sunday for, for doing papers. I I mentioned off air to, to Karen about um, how much of a big week it's been for Irish women in sport. Um, we've had Rashid Adelecki making her professional debut on the 200 metres, then she ran the 400 metres on Friday. Um, you know, the 400 is our main event, um, not our best run but it was still a really, really good run. 200 metres. Um, she was second just to the world champion, Sharika Jackson. Brilliant. I can't see any coverage of it in any of the newspapers. Um, Kieran McGean broke the mile record as well on, on Friday. And um, unfortunately, just now look, as Kieran was saying to me, look, you know, with so much going on with the hurling and that kind of stuff, it probably was hard. You know, I suppose it is good to see coverage of the Women's World Cup. There's about maybe two pages in, in both the, the Sunday Times and Sunday Indos sports sections. I I would argue maybe you could have a bit more in there. If it was a men's World Cup, we'd probably see a lot more coverage. 
Sorry, Karen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing to be fair to the writers, I'm thinking of Mick Foley, who's the chief sports writer, uh, obviously a, a huge um, speciality in GA as well, but a, a good all-rounder. Like I would have seen him write about the athletes in the previous la- last couple of weeks mm. as well. So to be fair, so there'll be other times to write about them, you know, but by the same token, we have to remember, and actually just as you were talking there, Stephen, it made me think back to Donald Oak's reference, if you remember, to the timing. And he was talking essentially about the Sunday Times coverage, the how he picked up a, a Sunday paper, if you remember, and he was on about um, the coverage we were getting. Because this is the busiest week of the year. Even if you took out a Women's World Cup, I mean, the Tour de France, I don't think we're going to get talking about it, mm. right? Um, and obviously the British Open, um is on as well it's one of the this is um on a non-olympic year um about as big as you can get you know between yeah. like let's say the cycling and the british open so to be fair on that but i, I am cognizant going back to what you're saying about and i think it's important just to, to note we're talking about breakthroughs and we've been talking about hurling i think it's important to reference and there's a there's a couple of match reports particularly in the Sindo. I talked about how much I love breakthroughs and uh, I would feel for a county like Waterford. Wasn't it brilliant just to see their Camogie team beat Tip yesterday? Oh, yeah. Nothing against Tip, but to get to an All-Ireland final. Like you could see them last year. I remember watching last year's quarter final against Cork and they were just caught by a team that were more experienced going down the finishing line, the likes of Ashley and Thompson came along and they were beaten by eight or nine in the end when it was a closer game than that. But now they're going up against that great Cork team. Like it's been referenced that this is the first time since Wexford 2012 that we've had someone outside the the big three of Kilkenny, Cork and Galway going to be contesting the, the Women's Camogie final yeah. in two weeks' time. So I think that's important to note. But, and I'm particularly cognizant of that we've been speaking for nearly an hour now about the Sunday papers. And I do think there's quite a bit on the Women's World Cup. Like this is um, a huge moment in uh, Irish sport, particularly obviously Irish women's sport. And mm. Uh, there's some very good stuff in the papers on, on, on this, but I like. There's been a, quite a bit of talk about um, how much coverage is it getting and what's the mood and how it's hardly, you know, Euro 2012 even. But I would just say if the, the girls were to win the next game, mm. if the team were to win the next game, it goes to another level. Like I was trying to reference, I remember in '88 before the England game. Uh, which was our opening game of the Euro 88 men's tournament. And it was England. And I, I remember the build-up and I was totally into it. Um, but by virtue of them winning that game, it went to another level. And by 1990, it was just... Um, it, it was another leap again. Oh, it took, so the country, it took over the country. Uh, yeah. So, But my point is, if, if, if this team were to win a game yeah. and get, like, get through, it will... It will go to another level but in itself and I thought there was some great um, well let's see we'll, we'll have a look at the yeah. two pieces there that we, we picked mm-hmm. out uh, Kieran because um, there's a great piece in the Sunday Times Paul Rowan speaking to Denise O'Sullivan who I think will go down as one of the greatest Irish players male or female she is an absolute superstar um, and then we've got Abby Larkin who is having a breakthrough with the international team she's only 18 this is uh, a massive, massive occasion for her. She came off the bench against Australia in the opening game and she absolutely 
she just ripped it up. She was absolutely unbelievable. And we get some great insight to her here. Thanks to David Kelly and the Sunday Independent, who's a brilliant writer. And Dave's got a, a lovely, lovely way with words. He starts off his opening paragraph. Nothing is as wonderful as a youthful mind open to the wonder of endless possibilities. I thought it was a great intro. And uh, just moving on, he talks about comparing her to the superstar that was Damien Duff. Now, of course, managing Shelburne. And uh, when he broke through the Irish underage system with Brian Kerr as his manager, he says here, Brian Kerr always knew that there was little need in filling his mind with anything when there was enough in the boots and the heart to sustain him from the first whistle to the last. And so from when he had him as a teenager, Kerr excluded him from his final brief reminders to the defenders and the midfielders about their roles and responsibilities. Quote, and Duffer, yeah, Brian, just enjoy yourself, Rasher. <laughs> which I thought was a lovely mm. line and I don't think Vera Powell will be saying anything like that to Abby Larkin but that's uh, only down to the colloquialisms but here we go another paragraph I'm actually she says herself here Abby Larkin I actually am at the moment she says slinking snugly into an armchair at the Irish team's Brisbane base that is why it's so important to be here enjoying the moment because it's my first World Cup and I'm definitely taking everything in she's from Ringsend uh, a brilliant uh, area in Dublin City in the inner city and uh, we get a bit of insight here she was um, she only turned 18 in April and uh, she is already back-to-back league champion with Shelburne multiple international inter- underage appearances under 19 captain second youngest international debut Uh, in the senior team youngest goal scorer in World Cup qualification and now she is the Republic of Ireland's youngest World Cup player male or female beating the record set by Gary Kelly who was 19 when he came on against Norway at USA 94 Abby says I never knew that I got told after the match by the girls they said something about Gary and I hadn't a clue who Gary was (laughs) how depressing I was like I don't know who this is I don't know if that was a bad thing or not it was amazing hearing that from the girls and Dave says we might as well have asked her about Glenrow or Extravision (laughs) (laughs) but uh, another some other pieces here from Abby he says or she says, I didn't even know uh, there was that many people in Ring's End. When I left, there was only one flag on my balcony. It's crazy. It's so overwhelming in a good way. The amount of people that actually support me, some people I haven't a clue who they are, and they're just there supporting me. It's amazing. It's cool. And for someone from Ring's End, obviously there's no one else from Ring's End that's gone to World Cup, even thinking about it in that way. And obviously I'm a girl as well. It makes it so special for me. We then get a bit of insight into what it was like for her coming on on, on Thursday morning I was actually really nervous coming out alongside Lucy Quinn who was her other fellow substitute at the time you just heard the fans screaming and I'm thinking oh my god the biggest I've played in is at Tala Stadium never mind 75,000 people that's 10 times the crowd you would have seen at Tala it was mad when I came on the pitch was like white noise really you could hear all the players and I was kind of in the moment then I think it took me about five minutes to get the nerves out and it was more excitement, really. Yeah, just kind of playing football. I could hear Katie, that's McCabe, screaming. I was going down and I just heard, let it go, Abby. And I looked and she was there and I said, I have to play to her because she was, she was in such a good position and I thought, this could be it. And obviously, Katie McCabe didn't score. But 18 years of age and even though she's achieved what she's achieved, when she says there, Karen, about the white noise that she heard coming onto mm. the pitch and to play the way she did was just incredible. No, um, I think it's great that she was put forward because what a story. You know, like there's no protecting her or the hype. Like she's embracing it. She talks about the nervousness, but then transferring to excitement. There's some great stuff about her um, in both, as you said, David's piece. I think uh, I see enough lead in the Sindo as well. And there's there's actually um, a really good uh, piece by Ellie Donnelly in the Business Post magazine. Um, it's the cover story. And... Um, 
it starts with Ellie and uh, she actually, uh, with, sorry, with Abby. Um, Ellie Donnelly gets talking to her aunt and it's about um, the hype and colour there is in Ring's End. How there's a local band, have la- the pullovers have launched two songs about their sporting hero on the Irish team. Ring's End Abby is, called, is one of them. And On the Way Down Under. And it, it gets, um, I really like this piece uh, by Ellie Donnelly because it, it, contact- it brings us into... Uh, Abby Larkin and uh, In Rings End and the colour and then it broadens out to the growth of the women's game here so I was talking about how Maeve de Burka, who made her debut for Ireland at underage level in 2006 um, was talking about how when she started out playing there were no underage girls clubs in Galway um, in 2000 she was fortunate enough that uh, Salt Hill Devon started a girls section and now 23 years later there are 23 underage girls team teams and we have to remember how there's only been a national league since 2011 mm. it's only 2011 since there was a national league like I come from a sport like basketball which has had a women's national league since 1979 only seven years after the men's league started um, like it was only in 2011 we had a national league in Galway one of our biggest uh obviously population centres there was no women's team like what the growth of the sport like it's it's horrendous it it took so long but I think we have to contextualise just the achievement and um, the how it's how it's just brilliant that there is now it's the old you know the 20 by 20 campaign which started in something like was it 2017 Mm. Um, but it's so true now there is heroes to be seen and I'm, I'm glad that they have put up forward in Abby Larkin because what a story and she's talking going back to your point Stephen about you know Hugh Lawler looking up to a Tommy Walsh and um, you talk about Gary Kelly we're old enough to remember Gary Kelly I am anyway right oh yeah, yeah. and, and there's, the famous, there's the famous story of, uh, Paul, of Paul McGrath talking about uh Gary Kelly looking at him weird in the dressing room. He says, what's the story with that young fella? He keeps looking at me weird, Jesus. And Gary Kelly said he was looking at Paul McGrath and says, I can't believe I'm playing with Paul <laughs> McGrath. That's Paul McGrath over there. And how she looks up to the likes of Katie McCabe. And there's a lovely line just that's, 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 uh, that's mentioned in Dave's piece. It's hard to forget, but it's important to remember that in Hampden Park, she watched from the stands with a bag of school books, you know, as Ireland made history, mm. she's the Gary. She is the Gary Kelly, even though yeah. who's Gary yeah, Kelly? Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know. Well, listen, um, so, time is against us. We'll have to breeze through a couple more pieces here. I just, I thought that Denise O'Sullivan with Paul Rowan was excellent. It gave us a bit of insight what happened in that uh, that match against Colombia, which uh, left her uh, on the brink of missing out in that first game, but she didn't, thankfully. And uh, she says in here, it was a, uh, playing the match itself, it was a dream, or it was everything I dreamt of uh, since I was a kid. So I was really proud to go out there the other night and just standing in that tunnel, the Irish took over the stadium, to be honest. The minute we ran out, they were unbelievable singing songs. And an unbelievable experience to play in front of 75,000. Gives us great insight into Denise O'Sullivan growing up in Knocknaheeny, um, down in Cork, which was what an atmosphere it was down there during the game. And her family and all her friends and neighbours out there, was it was brilliant scenes. And that's the kind of thing as well I think is going to uh, inspire uh, young girls um, into playing the game and uh, more of it, hopefully. Uh, Jason, just to touch then on, on the golf, I know there was some... Uh, 
pieces there in the Sunday Times, obviously talking about the disappointment for, for Rory McElroy. Um, Paul Kimmage has done a piece though as well. Uh, a couple of, uh, a lot of Beatles references in there, which uh, I wasn't expecting to see, but it's uh, it's done really well by, by Paul Kimmage in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a great piece, Stephen. Um, he just kind of, Paul loves quoting uh, Michael Bamberger, the, the great golf writer to, for the intros to a lot of his pieces. So he mentions, he starts off with a bit of writing from him saying how when Nick Faldo found out that Paul McCartney was simply aware of him, uh, that it meant the world to him. And then it kind of, it flows into how Rory's kind of golf's uh, beetle now at the minute. And he takes us back to when he when he sat down with Rory when he was just 14 years of age. And, you know, he was over in, uh, in San Francisco in 2000, or Los Angeles, sorry, in 2004. And he heads uh, 130 miles up the road to Shadow Ridge Golf Club in Palm Springs. And he writes, uh, I was there to spend time with Nick Faldo Europe's most successful golfer and make plans for a success series of columns that would appear in the Sunday Times. Nick had company that week. His then wife, Valerie Bercher, his daughter, Emma Scarlett, manager Ian Forsyth, his coach, Jeremy Bennett, and a dozen teenage golfers who were being nurtured by his foundation. And then that's how he ends up meeting Rory. And one of the great, um, one of the rising stars, uh, who was only a girl at the time, Henny Koyak, uh, she's gone into TV presenting since and Paul kind of weaves into a good yarn about him texting her that he wants to write a small feature about her and Rory to kind of go back to that day when he, he met them as teens, but she doesn't get back to him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and like he tells Faldo then that he still has the, the tape from when, when Rory was just uh, that age and, you know, he's, he's grown into this, uh, you know, World worldwide name despite his disappointing this weekend disappointment this weekend and he quotes that great uh, Beatles song I am the walrus which yeah. is uh, brilliantly covered by Oasis as well as well of course yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. good piece though Kieran you I know you were looking at that as well oh as yeah well. no I, I thought look Paul is obviously you know one of the greatest writers we've ever had and um, obviously his interviews the Q and A format he's made it his own and, um, but he can really write a good column. Um, when he's focused, I thought his piece last week on the Tour de France um, was beautifully personal. Um, how he weaved it in, he, he he himself and Kevin, his brother, an old friend of mine, um, were back on the bike going up the Pyrenees, and um, the weaved how he weaved it in um, about uh, his mother and father. I thought it was just a beautiful piece, and this column, I like this column. I really like today's column as well because. Um, I I knew that we'd be coming on talking about possibly Rory again, and here he is not winning a major again, and the the, the disappointment early. But the fact he ties it back into Faldo, and I think the most important thing early about it is the last four pairs. He said, you know, like he says, "Cripes, that's almost twenty years ago." Says Faldo, "Would you have called it what? How good he was going to be?" No, says Faldo. I thought Ollie Fish and James Heath were the stars. Mm. Now, I don't know who those two boys are. Yeah, uh, I know who Rory McIlroy and the world knows him. As, as as Paul says, there was three hours there and they're playing with Ram and Rose, but everyone just, there's only one known by their first name and McIlroy is superfluous. And yeah. the point being is, is that we think he's failing at the moment, but really he has succeeded beyond anybody else's definition bar of Tiger Woods yeah. you know it's we have to sometimes re- remind ourselves of that I thought it was just a, a good reminder and it was just a really nice piece sometimes you know you're going back to you're going back to Faldo but there's great insights um, yeah. in there this. behind and I just I thought a bigger picture too of just hey, it's cool the Jets like this guy has 
as bloody one. Yeah, well, look, there's 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 so much good stuff in the papers today. We unfortunately didn't get to cover it all. There's a good piece by Riyadh Al Samurai in the uh, Irish Mail on Sunday, just around Jordan Henderson and his possible move to Saudi Arabia, which seems to be dragging on a while. It's a really good column about the issues around that. Uh, but there's loads of good stuff. Um, it is all Ireland hurting day, though. We had to go heavy on that. I really hope you enjoyed it. Stephen Doyle in for Joe Malloy this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure having Jason Byrne from the Irish Sun alongside me today and yourself as well, Kieran Shannon from the Irish Examiner. Thanks Stephen. a million, lads, and look, enjoy Thank the you, match. Man. Cheers, Stephen. Enjoy it, Jason. All right, bye. Enjoy it, Cheers, lads. Oh, okay.